Father, we pray that as we come now to your word, we would again hear the voice of Jesus speak, speak to us in our own circumstances, our own unique positions, the unchanging grace and truth of your gospel, that we might have a greater understanding of your love and a greater desire to follow you with joyful obedience. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Please. So, I wonder if you are an early person or a late person. Are you one of these people who's always scrambling to get there on time? And no matter when you leave, you seem to arrive five, ten minutes late. Or perhaps you're one of those people, and in this area with a high proportion of military people, we seem to have a lot of people who are always 15 minutes early. No matter what time the events start, they show up. Early. I have a friend who is this way. No matter what time I arrive, he is already there. Uh, the only time I actually beat him somewhere was when I got my calendar mixed up and showed up a whole day early. And uh, it was good to know that he doesn't show up that early, at least for events. But you know, you, one of these late people or these early people. Whatever you are, we all know that time is one of the most precious things that we have. Uh, We are always running out of it. You can never buy it back. It is one of the most precious commodities. And the Bible has a lot to say about time and particularly about how we structure our time. The Lord has given us this pattern of uh, six days of work and one day of rest as a tonic for our souls. Something that is good for us, something that we are to practice that we might be blessed. Indeed, so important was this pattern that he encoded it, he graved it in stone amongst the Ten Commandments. And that to me is is a fascinating thing. You know, the Lord is in heaven and he thinks, I'm going to tell him ten things, the ten most important things that come to mind just now. And one of the most important things in the top ten things that God wants to tell his people at this time is that they are to, to take the time to rest tonic for our souls that we all need. We're going to look at this command together this morning. It runs from verses 8 through verse 11. It's the longest of the commandments. And before we do, let's look at the context that we get in verse 2. Verse 2, which reads, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The thing we need to understand from this context is that the commandments, all of the commandments, and which includes, of course, this fourth commandment is given to us in light of the gospel. The commandments follow the gospel of undeserved deliverance. Text opens with, I am the Lord. A reminder of who it is that is giving us these commands. The Lord appears to his people and he announces himself. The God who created all things. The God who sustains all things. The God who owns all power and all majesty and all glory. I am the one that is speaking to you. The one who is enthroned on high. But then he says, I am the Lord. Yes, but the Lord, your God. Don't think of me as this far off, distant uninterested being. I am the God that has drawn near to you, that has drawn you into relationship with me so that you don't deal with me as some far off entity, but as your God, the one to whom you belong. And he says, the Lord your God who did what? 
brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I, God, your God, am the one who redeemed you. Referring back, of course, to the people of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt, the Lord led them out of that land, bringing them into the, uh, the freedom and the joy of the promised land itself. So in light of this, he says, in light of who I am, in light of the fact that I belong to you, in light of the fact that I'm the one that's redeemed you, live in this way. Live in this way. So we understand that when God gives us these commandments, it's not that he's up in heaven with a pencil and writes down a list of things that are just kind of hard to do. It's that he gives us the blueprint for our fulfillment and our flourishing as people who have been redeemed by his grace. It's in this context that we get the commands. And of course, the same is true for us as a New Testament people of God. No, we were not redeemed from a physical slavery in Egypt, but we have been redeemed from that greater spiritual slavery to sin. And no, we weren't led out by Moses, but have been led out by the true and greater Moses, Jesus himself. And so in light of these gospel realities, in light of these great truths, we are called to follow this blueprint for our fulfillment and for our flourishing. The commandments follow the gospel of undeserved deliverance. So then we get the list of them. They begin in verse 3, move on to the fourth commandment in verse 8. So let's focus in on this command. Verse 8 starts and tells us what we're to do. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Telling us what we're to do. It centers on the Sabbath day. The day that the Lord has given us. Not just to sort of negatively pause, stop, take a break. But to positively enjoy Him. To connect to Him, the source of all pleasure. He has given us this day as as a day of delight where we might engage with him and find our souls at rest in him. Rosie, my wife, and I went for dinner a month or so ago and in the restaurant, I, I'm, a, I'm a big people watcher. I'm always watching people. And there was one couple over to one side who were just having the best time. They were clearly delighted with each other and they were talking with kind of wide eyes and animated hands and really just engaged with one another. Then over to the other side was a couple who, the time I was watching them anyway, I don't think exchanged two words. You know, they they ate dinner. uh, They looked silent. They looked flat. It looked lifeless. And the Lord says, I'm giving you a Sabbath day to reconnect with me so that our relationship will be like that first couple and not like that second couple. I am giving us some intentional time, date night if you will, so that we will connect and you will connect to the source of all joy and all pleasure, namely me. This isn't a passive thing where we just think about taking a break. It's an an active thing where we connect with the Lord that our joy might be multiplied. Now concerning this day that he has given, this day of delight, we're told two things. First of all, we're told to remember it. Remember the Sabbath (laughs) day. God knows how quick we are to forget. We are people who even forget important things. That important phone call that you forget 
to return. Um, you leave the house and have left you know, the oven on. Things that we ought not to forget, important things that we ought not to forget, do slip our minds. And so God tells us, remember this day of rest. Remember it. Now, of course, remembering means more than just mental recall. You know, yeah, I, I remember the Sabbath day. I remember that it's Sunday. But what it means is to, to remember it in a way that cements your present relationship. A while ago, Rosie and I were looking through the, our family photo albums and uh, opened up our first one, saw the wedding photos, moved on to our 300 square foot apartment where we're 18 and 19 years young, smiling with a baby. And, um, you know, my comment is always, man, we looked so awake then. I feel so much, we look so much more tired now. And Rosie said, well, we are so much more tired now. Um, and then we followed the progression through the different places we've lived in, different events, new children being born, the kind of life story that's captured in your family album. Now, as we did that, we didn't just say, aha, I remember that. There was more to remembering. We remembered in a way that changed or, or blessed our present relationship. As we reflected on what we've been through as a couple, the present relationship was, was blessed. And that's what it means to remember. It's more than just mental recall. It's focusing upon what the Lord has done for you. Focusing upon what the Lord is doing in your life. Focusing upon what he has promised to do for you in the future in a way that cements your present relationship in a way that draws you closer to him. He says, remember this day. Remember it. Second thing he tells us about this day is to keep it holy, to keep the day holy. Holy just means to be, to be set aside, to be separate from, to be in its own category. And the Lord is saying, I've, I've given you this day and I want you to set it aside. I want you to keep this day separate. I want you to keep this day as, as a special day for us. Every um, Saturday morning in Forsyth Household, we eat chocolate chip pancakes. And it's a kind of time of great family get-together and enjoyment. And it's great because our kids not only enjoy this time, but they anticipate it, you know. Uh, it's the summer holidays, so my, um, you know, my younger kids, they've totally lost track of what day of the week it is. And uh, they say to me, they say, one of them said to me on Wednesday, is it Saturday today? <laughs> and I was like, not even close. <laughs> But they enjoy this time and they anticipate this time because it's a time that's set aside to do something as a family that we enjoy together. And the Lord is saying, I've given you this day and I want you to set it aside. I want you to mark it as special. and I want you to anticipate it and look forward to it. This time to connect with me and engage with the source of all true joy. And so as, as believers, we are to, to mark this day and have it set aside and to anticipate it. We want to say on Wednesdays, is it nearly Sunday yet? That sense of excitement that comes from knowing we're going to be able to spend time with the one that we love. What are we to do? We're to remember to set aside time and to delight in God. That's what the command is. Remember, set aside time to delight in God. Verses 9 and 10 then go on to tell us when we are to do this. We read in verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
Verse 9 starts then. Six days you're to labor and work. And I don't want us to, to miss this. We often gloss over this when we're thinking about this commandment. That we are commanded to work. Work is a divine gift that he has given to us. And yes, we believe that the fall introduced thorns and sweat and difficulties and challenges to our work. But intrinsically, work is a good thing. It was given to us by God himself back in Genesis before the fall, where Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden and told to work it and take care of it. Work itself is an intrinsically good thing. And if you've been unemployed or if you are employed now, you you know this. You understand how this season is, is, is difficult and has a strange impact on your sense of purpose, on even your, your sense of identity. Unemployment is such a difficult thing because we have been created to work. And I find that an encouraging word, and I hope an especially encouraging word to any of you who, who just don't like your jobs just now. I, I sometimes worry a little bit that we talk a lot as a church about faith and work, about how our following Christ impacts our, our vocational callings and it does but I don't want us to sort of imply that every morning you should get up and just be like I cannot wait to get to the office or get to wherever I do my work it's just the source of fulfillment and I just love it Um, on the scale of history and globally today this sort of sense that work should be this all fulfilling thing is very alien for lots of people, work has historically been difficult. And for lots of people today, it's difficult. And they work faithfully, not because they find the particular tasks so, so thrilling, but because of the necessity to provide for themselves and their families. And so if you don't enjoy your job, don't feel like, don't feel like you're sort of a subpar Christian unless you think, sort of, this calling is everything the Lord has given to me. The Lord is honored by the faithful performance of regular, mundane, dare say, boring duties. If you are not enjoying your job just now, know that the Lord is honored by faithful performance of it. Following these six days where we're to work and get everything done that we need to get done, we're then told in verse 10 that we're to rest for one day. So six days are for productivity and the flourishing of humanity. And then the Lord gives one day for productivity and the flourishing of your soul. One day that has been set aside for that. The pattern continues in the New Testament. The disciples, of course, changed the day from the Sabbath, which was Saturday, to Sunday, which was the first day of the week. They made this change to commemorate the fact that this was the day in which Jesus was raised from the dead. But we see this pattern in their lives also. We see it in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, where they would work six and then get together and rest on one. We are still to follow this, this, this pattern. When are we to Sabbath? When are we to rest? Following the pattern of six and one. Let's look more now, though now at verse 11. And we've seen what we're to do and when we're to do it. We're then told why we are to do this. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're given two reasons here as to to why we should follow this pattern. The first one is we're commanded to work and rest because we serve 
a God who works and rests. God's pattern in Genesis is to be our pattern in life. So back in Genesis, we read that the Lord created all things, the sun and the moon and the the stars in the sky and the locks and the moors and the dirt and the daffodils and the badgers and everything else that came into his divine imagination. And then he created man and he created woman and on the seventh day he stopped. He rested. Why did he do this? Not because he was tired, not because he needed a Gatorade, but because he was declaring his creation to be complete. Declaring that it was good. Declaring that it was very good. Declaring that he was deeply satisfied with the work of creation that he had done. And this pattern of life, working, then being satisfied in God's work, is handed over to us. Six days to be about all that the Lord has given us to do. Then a seventh day to stop and rest and see that the work of the Lord in your life is good. It is very good. And be satisfied with what he is doing in and through your personal experiences. We're commanded to obey this uh, this command because uh, doing so enables us to enjoy God's work. The second reason we get in verse 11 is very interestingly phrased where we read that the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He's blessed the seventh day. The Lord commands us to do things that are for our own good. He commands us to do things that he knows will be good for us. And he tells us to take the Sabbath day and then he blesses the day. What, what does it mean that God blesses a day? It's a, strange, it's a strange phrase. Well, when he blesses a person in scripture, we see that he brings an extra richness or, or fullness to them. When he blesses a land, he does the same thing. He brings a special richness or, or fullness to that land. And when he blesses a day, the same thing is happening. He is bringing a special richness or fullness to that day. So think about it. In marriage, for example, there's a richness to every day. But there's a special richness that the Lord has blessed us with in those intimate moments. Or worship. All of life is worship. But then there is a special richness to the worship that we enjoy when we're gathered here today. And so it is with the dates. Every day is rich, but there is a a special richness to the Lord's day. There are blessings available on this day that aren't available in the same way on other days. This is why the Puritans called the Lord's day the market day of the soul. Because they knew that there was a great return to be gained from spending this day delighting in the Lord. Maybe it's the joy of meeting together or the renewal that comes through worship or the wisdom and peace that we find in God's word or the physical recuperation of taking a break or the spiritual renewal that comes through this time or perhaps just the the recalibrated perspective that we get when we stop to orient our lives around him. There's a great blessing for us as we follow this command. It's good for us to Sabbath. And all of God's commands are always that way. He commands us to do things because they are good for us. And as we follow them, we say, Lord, you know better than I do. You know what is good for me more than I do. I trust you more than I trust myself. And so as we are blessed, he 
is brought glory. Why do we Sabbath? To enjoy God's work and receive the great blessings that are ours. I want to spend the final few moments then reflecting together upon how we can keep this command. How do we keep this command in our day and our age? How should we follow the Sabbath? The first thing I want to say is that I'm not going to give you a big list of things you ought to do and a big list of things you ought not to do. And the reason for that is that the Lord gives us these commands to liberate us and and, and live the full life he has for us. And we can be so quick to take these liberating commands and turn them into legalisms, whereby we become more concerned about the checklist of do's and don'ts than about the purpose of the Sabbath itself. Jesus had much to say on that topic that we might look at another time. All of us need to prayerfully consider how we will spend a day delighting in the Lord. So I want to give you, rather than a list of, of uh, uh, rules, is, is four principles. Four principles that wherever you end up on the specifics, I think will be helpful uh, to guide your thinking. First of these principles is this. that For all of us, it's really important to structure your week around your Sabbath time. Structure your week around your Sabbath time. Why? Because if you wait until everything's done, you'll be waiting until you're dead. Um, There is no such day when there is nothing that has to be done. And so what we need to do is we need to structure our lives and prepare to keep this day holy. We need to plan on what needs to be done this week. We need to uh, sort of figure out when we need to get things done by in order that we might be able to set uh, the Lord's Day aside. Sit down as a family, swap calendars, make notes as to how you can prepare uh, to get this time uh, together with the Lord. And then, once you have made this plan, have the strength to stick to it. Have the strength to stick to it. I struggle with this. I, 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 have, I struggle to sticking to my plan, which is why I now take Mondays off. Because Monday is so early in the week that I figure I've got time. Sunday is my game day, okay? So Monday gives me lots of time to worry about Sunday. If I was to try and take Saturday off, I'd never take it off, because Day for game day. Can't take that off, right? I would allow things to bleed into the day. So I structure my week in order that I can have uh, a Sabbath day. Do similar things yourself, structuring your week around your Sabbath time. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is balance your Sabbath time. On the day itself, have, have a sense of, of balance or order to it. Let me suggest at least three things that should be part of your, your Sabbath experience. First of all, and perhaps obviously, is worship. Uh, Worship is is given to us that we might connect with the source of joy, God himself. And so we come and we say, Lord, I'm not working today. I'm here to worship you because I believe that you are the one who rules and overrules. And you are the one who keeps the world turning. And I am not the one who does any of these things. And so I'm taking a day off. I trust that you are in control of your kingdom. And you are in control of my life. And so I can be here to give you praise. Connect to the one who's the source of joy. Second thing I think is great to do on your, your Lord's Day for, for rest and renewal is what we call meaningful novelty. It, it sort of means the same thing as hobby, but I, I've told you before, I, I want to stay away from the word hobby because that implies it's optional. If you have nothing in your life that you do just because you enjoy it to God's glory, then there's something wrong. 
If you only ever do things you have to do, there's something wrong there. Take some time to do those things that, that are intrinsically enjoyable to you and enable you to give God great praise. Maybe it's exercise, maybe it's an instrument, maybe it's cooking a particular meal or drinking a particular glass of wine, maybe it's spending time with a particular friend. Those things that you do solely for their own sake to God's glory. Take time for that, it's important. Third thing we need to do as we balance our Sabbath time after worship and meaningful novelty is some free time, some unstructured time, some unplanned time. We are a people that when you look at our calendars, sometimes nearly every minute of the day is filled with something. And there's great value in having some time that you don't have to do anything. You can sort of take it as it comes and see what happens. A few hours in the day to not be driven by your schedule or by someone else's. Some unplanned free time. Balance your Sabbath time. Thirdly, we also need to guard your Sabbath time. Guard your Sabbath time. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean that in D.C. especially, we idolize time and life gets very busy. And if you don't guard this time, it will get filled up. So guard it, first of all, from other people. Set clear expectations that you won't be able to do certain things on this day because it is uh, the Lord's day, because it is your rest day. Now, this can be hard to do because it's hard when someone's saying, can I see you, you know, on this day? And you say, well, in the morning I'm worshiping, in the afternoon I'm playing golf, and in the evening I have nothing planned. (laughs) It's not a very satisfactory response as to why you can't see them. Um, But it's really important to do. It's really important to do. And in this area especially, is a powerful witness to do that. To say, this work appointment, it's very important, and I see the need for this, and let's meet at 9 o'clock on Monday. Um, Or let's meet at this time, that time, the next time. But I need you to know that this this time has been set aside by me and my family, that we might um, enjoy the Lord powerful witness for Christians to live in a countercultural way, guarding our Sabbath time from others. Secondly, if you have them, guard your Sabbath time from your kids. What do I mean by that? I mean our lives get crazy busy, and in this area, more than any I've seen, our kids' lives get crazy busy. We sign them up for everything and leave little time for rest. Don't allow the expectations that are placed by our culture upon our kids to sabotage Sabbath time. Some questions to reflect upon. Does the, do these activities sabotage your weekend downtime or worship time? Do they sabotage family dinner or bedtime? Do they pull your family apart? Are you making this identity your kids are, are you making this activity your kids are your own identity? Don't allow your kids' lives to be so full that you never have chance as a family rest. And thirdly, as you guard your Sabbath time, guard it from yourself. I told you once before about the interaction I had with Bill Clark one day when I said to him, um, I feel like my counselor and my wife get the worst of me. And he said, James, you get the worst of you. My main problem with resting isn't other people and isn't my kids. It's me. It's the sense that I should be doing something just now. I should, I should be being productive. I, something should be happening. 
Um, you know, this is why so many of us, myself included, are really miserable to be with on the first day of vacation. Because you start to sit around and you kind of... Um, guard Sabbath time from yourself. For, to do this, we need to have what we call personal legalisms. These are these things that have to be true for you, but don't need to be true for anybody else. But personally, you need to hold to this like it's, like it's gospel. Uh, for me, uh, for example, it's that um, I do not check email on Mondays. Because if I do, I start replying, or thinking, or working. And the moment I start down that track, I stop Sabbathing, and I need to guard myself from myself, and so I don't check email. Find ways to, to guard yourself from yourself. Fourth, and finally, as we think about principles for living this Sabbath uh, lifestyle. Be accountable for your Sabbath time. Be accountable for your Sabbath time. Because our town idolizes power and prestige and success, we idolize time, and we also make working long hours a badge of honor. Now, I hope I have made clear in this sermon already that work is a good thing and that we should work hard and diligently to the Lord, and there is much to be said for discipline and graft. There are also seasons where we need to work unreasonably long for, for a time. But we must not be a people who find that a time becomes our lives. We've got to be a people who don't see working hours as a badge of honor, but see resting in the Lord as a badge of honor. And so a people who allow ourselves to be held accountable by others, as you meet in your small groups, as you meet with your friends, as you meet in your accountability groups, Make this one of the things you talk about. How are you spending your time? Are you making sufficient time for the Lord, for your family? Are you stewarding your time well? Be accountable for your Sabbath time. The commandments of God, all of them, follow the gospel of of undeserved deliverance. We are people who are commanded to rest because our Lord rules and overrules all things, including our salvation. And so we're to stop connect to him and enjoy relationship with him. Remembering to set aside time to delight in him, following this pattern of six in one, enjoying his work and receiving the blessing as we structure, balance, guard, and are accountable for our time. Next week, we're going to talk about tolerance. What does it mean to be tolerant? What does it not mean to be tolerant? How can we navigate these issues in our day and in our age? We're going to look a passage where Jesus addresses him addresses this himself looking forward to seeing you for that time now. For now though, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time where you just call us to come and rest in you. Rest because your work of creating and redeeming is done and so we can say that life is good it is very good and be satisfied and that today is a good day to follow Jesus we pray Lord that we would be mindful of this day and that we would set time aside to do nothing but delight in you that our relationship with you might not grow cold but might continue to be one of mutual passion. I pray that you would help all of us to figure out the implications of this for our own families and our own situations.
and that each would live faithful lives to the callings that you have placed on us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.